Hey everybody, it's Greg Martin here. Strap on in and put on your big boy pants. It's time to listen to Pop Goes Your World with Derek Myers and Chris McBrien. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 230, Source Code Movie Review. I'm Chris, that's Derek, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now, this week, uh, Derek and I have watched the 2011 film Source Code. It was nominated by Derek. Go no figure. Uh, no kidding. <laughs> it's, it's definitely out of my realm. <laughs> and we're going to review that movie shortly. We'll get there. But uh, before we get started, actually, I, I have an announcement to make that I'd like to make. We recently had reason to celebrate around here. Last week, it was Derek's birthday. Happy birthday, Derek. Oh, I thank you, Chris. Did you have um, a good time, my friend? I did. I did. It, it fell on a work day, so that sort of limited the the fun on the actual day. But we did a little bit of celebrating the weekend before. We did a little bit of celebrating the weekend after. So nice. it all worked out. It all worked out. Nice. So before um, we get to the, the movie review, any pop culture, I guess I should say, what pop culture have you been able to take in over the past week? Tell yeah, that's us, probably, probably a better way to go. Yeah. So I was uh, just before we started the podcast, I was telling you we're in a sort of a, an interesting part of the year where the evenings are starting to cool down. So mm. I'm not as likely to be outside at night. I'm not as likely to be using my swimming pool in the evening. I'm not as likely to go on a bike ride after dinner. But hockey hasn't started yet. So I'm at home in the evenings with nothing to do and nothing to watch. So I have been binging a ridiculous amount of content over the last two weeks. For anybody new to the podcast, we're from Canada, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's getting colder. Hockey hasn't started. Go figure. Yeah, exactly. So I, I've got a list of like 15 things. I'm not going to run down the whole list because that would be an entire podcast on its own. And mm -hmm. honestly, some of these things were kind of stinkers and some of these things were a little bit older. Right. But I do want to hit on, you know, four or five of them of the newer things I've been watching. That's what you do um, around here. You bring yeah. the newer stuff. So well, what have you got? I'll, I'll give a little bit of love out to some of the older ones, mm -hmm. too. So, you know, what? let me start with a couple of older ones. OK, so uh, I had a chance, uh, as I mentioned before, I have a full cable package with every channel you can think of, including a whole bunch of movie channels. So my my digital PVR is full of movies that I just keep recording. Oh, yeah, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And again, from time to time, my wife yells at me and says, don't record anything new until you watch something off that PVR. <laughs> so this so week full. I had a chance to, to watch two items off the PVR, both of which I'd seen before, both of which I really enjoyed. I had a chance to watch again The Big Lebowski. Okay. Which have you seen the Big Lebowski? I have never seen the Big Lebowski, believe it or not. It's uh, it's a little bit of an acquired taste, but it, that's I what acquired, I yeah, I acquired the taste a long time ago, so I, it was a it was a lot of fun to revisit okay. it. So I, I really enjoyed going back to see that one, uh, and a movie that you and Yancey reviewed on this podcast before I joined Contact with Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey. Oh yeah, I remember. Uh, which that one. I seem to recall you didn't care for that much, yeah. but I, I do enjoy it a lot. And uh, I actually listened to a podcast uh, where they reviewed Contact a couple months ago. So when I saw it, it was in the lineup. I recorded it. I had a chance to watch that this week. So did you think? Jodie Foster looked good in it. We make we got made fun of for that a couple weeks ago. 
There, there's a scene in Contact where uh, they go to like the president's ball or something, mm-hmm. uh, some sort of um, um, Washington D.C. event, and she, you know, looks fantastic in that one. So anyway, uh, but yeah, those were two sort of older ones that I had a chance to revisit. That uh, you know, movies I enjoyed nice. that uh, were definitely worth a revisit, both cool. uh, both in the '90s. Um, and then I had a chance to start digging. I needed something new. You know, you're always saying, "What do I binge watch next?" Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I, I binge watch so much stuff. So first of all. Um, I enjoy the cartoon. I enjoy, I enjoy cartoons, but I enjoy the cartoon Rick and Morty on Adult Swim, which is very popular. But not every. I'm like again, Chris. I assume you are not familiar with the Rick and Morty franchise. Probably never watched any. I'm episode. familiar with it. I remember Yancey used to mention it a lot. I think, but I've never seen it. Go figure. Yeah. So Shocker. it's it's very popular, and so the creators of Rick and Morty have a have a second well another show on Disney Plus called Solar Opposites, and believe it or not, there are three seasons. I binged all three seasons in the course of like a week. It's a, it, they're all like 20 to 30 minute episodes. So it didn't take very long, but it's that same kind of Rick and Morty humor. So if you like Rick and Morty and you're looking for something to watch solar opposites on Disney plus, give that one a thumbs up. Um, I also dug back into the archives and started watching the show 30 rock, which I had oh. never, ever seen a single episode of ever. Did you watch it when it was on nope. Chris? No, nope, never watched it when it was on. I, I don't know why I didn't watch it, but uh, I, I always wanted to, I, like, especially when it really started getting big and popular and I, I would see like memes on the Internet and stuff. So, I thought, well, I'll give it a few episodes. Well, I got through two seasons in the course of like five days. So, again, it was great. I, and I don't know what took me so long to get to this show, but uh, it's quite good. And it's very tongue in cheek, a lot of winking to the camera like Tina Fey really knew what she was doing with this show. And, and I'm glad she had the opportunity to make it. And man, oh, man, did she make the most of it. So I'm still pushing my way through. I think it's six or seven seasons so I'm, I'm just about done the second season um i was looking for something a little more self-contained than a seven season show mm-hmm. and on netflix uh one of the things it suggested i might want to try is uh, a limited series called the lincoln lawyer based on a book Ooh, i just watched the first episode of that with my wife the other the other week yeah so it's based on a book yeah. it's based on a series of books featuring the same lawyer and there was actually a, f- a feature film starring matthew mcconaughey as the Lincoln lawyer, which is based on the first book in the series from a few years back. And it was okay. This is the same character, uh, but it's based on the second novel in the series. It has nothing to do with the movie uh, other than it's sort of borrowed from the same source material. But again, even though it's the second book in the series, they treat you, they treat you, the audience as someone who has no previous understanding. It's an entry point series. I think it's eight or 10 episodes. Again, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was strong. It's uh, I like the cast. I really like the guy who, who the main guy they cast, who I had never seen him in anything else before. But I thought he did a great job. So Nev Campbell is in it too. Nev Campbell's in it as his never ex-wife. understood. I mean, she's Canadian. I never understood why she wasn't a bigger star. I don't know. I always thought that she would just like be a huge movie star when she was starting out. I remember when I was uh, an actor back in Toronto years ago, my uh, my buddy at the time, he was an actor too. He's like, oh, we got to go to this party. There's like all these cast members from this show called Catwalk or something like that. And I, I don't know. I don't, I didn't end up going, but she was on that show. And so I, I would have had the chance to go party with her, I guess. But, there you go. Yeah. I think I just watched hockey instead. I'm kidding. Yeah. What do you want? Shocker. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. Um, all right. Lincoln. I'm sorry. I'm just, I got this long list of things. Okay. Uh, the Emmy Awards were on between the last show that we did and this show. And I don't think too many, there were many surprises. A lot of the, the favorite shows that were expected to win did win. Succession won a whole bunch of awards. Uh, Ted Lasso won a whole bunch of awards. Squid Game won a couple win? awards. Henry Winkler did not win, although he was nominated. I believe he was nominated. Barry was definitely nominated, the show he is in. Um, but um, 
one of the things one of the one of the winners was Michael Keaton uh, one for his part in a, a limited series called Dope Sick that is available on Disney Plus. Now I like Michael Keaton. I had never heard of this series before. Me either. So looking for new content, I went, let's see what this is about. And I started watching the first episode. And it turns out this series is about the opioid crisis in the U.S. through the late 90s and early 2000s. And I I couldn't stop watching it. I stayed up really late into the night, two nights in a row, and was very sleepy at work the next two days to get through this. It's one of the best things I've watched all year. It's fantastic. It was amazing. Michael Keaton definitely deserved the award that he that he ended up winning um yeah it's great it's uh, and again it's it's based on real life events so for me it was somewhat education you know how much i like a good documentary so obviously i'm sure there was some license taken with some of the storytelling but on its face there's there's a lot of very interesting stuff that that was presented here so no it was really good i really enjoyed it strongly recommend that one if you got disney plus check out dope sick dope sick Dope, dope sick, sick oh. one word. Yeah, I didn't even know what the word meant, but yeah. through the course of the through the course of the show, they just they they tell you what it means, but they don't tell you until it's relevant to the story, and you're like, oh, I get it. So, but yeah, no, quite good. Um, and then just before I jump onto some documentaries, one other movie that I watched that I never seen before is from 2011. It's called Margin Call. You ever heard of it? No. It has a huge cast. It's got. Um, Jeremy Irons, Kevin Spacey, Paul Bettany, Demi Moore, um, Stanley Tucci, um, Zachary Quinto. Uh, it, it's it's got all these big actors who all do good work, and the story takes place over a twenty four hour period, and it's it's loosely based on real life, and it's basically the day of the stock market crash in the late 2000s when the whole mortgage crisis started to happen, uh, and it sort of is the behind the scenes look at. An analyst realized that there were shenanigans going on, brought it to the attention of the people that run the the trading company that he worked for, and then rather than do the right thing, they just cashed out, and that just collapsed the stock market for the next two years because of corporate greed. This movie was great. Uh, again, I don't really know a lot about the ins and outs of how the 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 money side of it worked, but you don't need to know that. The, the performances were really good. The story was really good, very compelling. I had heard sort of when it first came out that it was quite good, but it didn't really, it wasn't a big hit, but it was available um, on one of the streamers. I'm sorry, I can't remember which one. And uh, yeah, it was really good. Margin, Mar- margin Call? Yeah, I think it was from 2011. If I remember terrible correctly. title though. Well, it's it's a money term, right? It's, it's a trading Still. term, so yeah. Anyway, and then... Uh, I watched a few documentaries. I'll just give you the highlights of the first couple. Sorry, we just had to get the song in there. Of course, of course. <laughs> uh, I had a chance to watch three or four, but I'm only going to just talk about two and one of them okay. real, real quick. Um, all my documentaries I watched were on Netflix. There's a lot of new documentaries coming out. So the one that I watched this just the last few days just dropped last week. It's called Get Smart With Money. And it's basically four or five financial advisors that um, they basically did like a contest where they reached out to people and said, like, are you terrible with money? Are you drowning in debt? Are you, you know, uh, uh, have, do you have any no idea about how to invest your money? Do you not have money to invest? Like, we'll help you. And they basically did like this open contest to to find people that would participate in this documentary over a full calendar year and they walk them through how to try and improve their life and and help them with their money problems and it was interesting but at the same time most of what was presented was very common sense kind of stuff and a lot of what they were presenting like 
The answer was, oh, well, you know, if you get a second job or you get a third job, that's a good way to bring more money in. It's like, yeah, it is, but that's not really the right answer. Like it's, it was sort of systemic of a, like of the bigger problem. Uh, the fact that just people aren't getting paid enough to do so many jobs these days, but it was just okay. I I, I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, it was more like I, it, I it was American. It, was it? it oh, American. definitely. Yeah. yeah. But it ran about 90 minutes and like, I think 20 minutes in, I sort of went, I know exactly where this is going. So I would say if you're, if this sounds like it might interest you, give it five or 10 minutes. And if, if you think you know where it's going, you're right. You don't have to watch the rest. Um, but a great documentary that I do want to, this last one, the great documentary I want to recommend. Uh, it's part of the series I was talking about, about bad things that happen in sports called untold. I was telling you about the referee, the basketball referee, the bet on games. Yes, and there was, yes, uh, that was interesting. There was, uh, the, the, and one basketball guys that, that came up with, they were competing yes. with Nike and they, they got screwed over mm-hmm. and all that. So the lot, there was four documentaries in this untold series that got dropped. This is the fourth and final one of this new batch and it's called the race of the century and it's about the america's cup which is a yacht race Mm -hmm. and the americans had won it for like a hundred years in a row and then an australian team came out of nowhere and tried to compete like they were able to compete they were able to dominate their boat was just straight up faster they they their engineer had uh an aha moment and and rejigged the aerodynamics of the boat and suddenly their boat was able to do things nobody else's boat could do and it's just this amazing, inspiring story of of you know the David versus Goliath, and at the same time, the people that have won year after year after year after year. There's thousands, if not millions, of dollars uh, associated with being the winner. And when they realized, hey, we've won this for a hundred years in a row, and we could lose this and all the money that goes with it, of course, shenanigans ensue. Uh, that's really all I want to say on that. It is great. I strongly encourage you to watch it. You'll you'll be glad you did. And if you're anything like me, I don't know crap about the America's Cup. So everything was new to me. I didn't know who any of the people were. I didn't know who any of the history was. Uh, it wasn't like watching a documentary on the NBA where you're like, oh, well, I watch basketball. I know some of this stuff. It's like, no, I knew nothing. So it's called Untold. It's part of the Untold series. Mm. And this particular one is called The Race of the Century. And it's uh, about the boat race, the America's Cup. So anyway, lots and lots of stuff mm. on my plate this last few weeks. And um, and then, of course, source code, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Yeah. Lots of new stuff as usual. So for me, it's always the old stuff. So Derek, I, I want to pose a question to you, my friend. Now, it's a bit of a trick question, but because I've mentioned this a couple times on the podcast, so you should get it. How would you answer this question? What is my favorite movie of all time? Well, so I cheated. I, I've been listening to the Greatest Hits episode that you just dropped last week when we were off for my birthday. Mm-hmm. And you asked Yancey that question in one of the episodes, and I just listened to it this morning. So I do know the answer. Your three favorite movies, in no particular order, because you say the order always changes, are Indiana Jones, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Star Wars, and Jaws. That's correct. So recently my son and I went to see Jaws in the movie theater. I'm not sure why they released it in movie theaters again. Like, it's not like it's the 50th anniversary of the original release. Cause that would be like in 2025, but it, anyway, they released it in 4k and in 3d. So I've seen Jaws approximately eight bazillion times in my life. Just approximately. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, really how much, you know, how much better could it be, you know, one more time, right? It was amazing. Like, nice. The thing is, my relationship with this movie 
for most of my life was on VHS. I know a lot of younger people that watch this are like, what the hell, right? So watching it on VHS on a small screen, like bad resolution, right? So seeing it up on the big screen in 4K and in 3D, it was like watching this movie for the first time. I know that sounds crazy, but it was. I was picking out little details of the film that, I, that I'd never picked up on before, especially a lot of stuff around the town of Amity. Like there's little details, like there's Vaughn's Realty Company. It's on the side of the car and in this building. Like I've never picked up on that before that the mayor had a realty business and all this. But the scenes in the ocean, it felt like you were out at sea. Like, like, I mean, if you remember, Spielberg built a special housing for his camera. So it would be right, right at the water level. Right. In those scenes, you feel like you're out in the ocean, you know. But then the scenes that are in the Orca, you feel like it's claustrophobic. Like, you feel like you're right there in Quinn's boat. Like, it was just amazing. I absolutely loved it. What an experience. And it was funny. My, my, my wife is like, you've already seen that movie a million times. Which is not true. I've seen it eight bazillion, eight bazillion times. times. Exactly. <laughs> approximately. It, approximately. It was quite simply one of the greatest experiences I've ever had in a movie theater. It was unbelievable. And the thing is now, I can at least say that I have seen all three of my favorite movies in the movie theater. Because I saw Star Wars as a seven-year-old kid. And mm-hmm. I saw Raiders three times as an 11-year-old. And now I've finally seen Jaws in the theater. Nice. You know? Oh, my God. It was just Fantastic, And it just it stays with me. I just kept saying to myself, I'm so glad we did this. I'm so glad we did this. It was just so good. And to see with my son was just, oh, it was just so important. So, And another thing that I will often share with my son is this. Here's your dad joke of the week. Okay, Derek, I got a dad joke for you, all right? What is the longest word in the English language? I have no idea. Smiles. It has a mile between the first and last letter. Oh, by the way, I'm just shitting you. The longest word is anti-disestablishmentarianism. We've been nominated for a podcast award here every year since we started doing the show. So I think the format's working okay for us. Forget it. We're making changes. You can't keep forcing me to watch these bad movies. If you don't like it, too bad. This movie was so... It's not Back to the Future. There's probably not a person on the planet who likes 1986 more than me. It had a great soundtrack. John Cusack was so hungover. You know, the dick and fart jokes. They should have called it the hot mess time machine. Come on, wah, wah. Okay, it was time for us to review a quote-unquote newer movie. So I only go with movies pre-1989. So it was over to you, and you went with Source Code from 2011. So let's just kick things off. Maybe you could explain a little bit about why why this movie. Why do you want me to go back and watch this particular film? So often when I'm trying to think of newer movies to ask you to watch, mm-hmm. it's it, like there are so many to choose from. Sometimes it's hard to narrow down the field. So I'll be honest. Sometimes the choices, I don't want to say made for me, but I am helped by the suggestions of what is placed in front of me. Probably about a month or so ago, I was flicking around on one of the channels and I caught the last 10 or 15 minutes of source code. And I thought to myself, man, I remember really liking this movie the last couple of, like I know I've seen it a couple of times. I'm like, I really enjoyed this movie. I think I really think I need to go back and watch it again. 
And then when we were chatting and you're like, hey, you know, we're going to need to come up with something a little newer. I thought, well, this is a perfect opportunity for me, for me selfishly to go back and rewatch Source Code. But it's also a chance for me to ask you to watch it. Um, As I think I mentioned at the end of our last episode, um, part of the the gimmick or the presence, uh, uh, not the presence, the, the, the trick or whatever it might be of this movie is that the character, the main character gets to relive a section uh, well, of his life, we'll call it his life for now, uh, an eight minute section over and over and over and over and over again. And through the course of the movie, you understand like why he's doing it. And you find out he's a military operative and he's on a mission and he's trying to solve a mystery. And every time he goes back in time and repeats the loop, he retains all the memories of what he had done the time before. So in theory, you know, he should be able to start um, solving the problem because he's he's not been able to solve it in the past, right? You make a mistake, you learn from the mistake, you don't make that mistake a second time, and then the next time through, you you got a better chance of it. And this this gimmick has been done on TV shows. There's uh, movies that have used this, like obviously very, very famously Groundhog's Day, uh, Groundhog Day rather, with Bill Murray. It's the same idea where he's just living Groundhog Day over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And in much the same way, he try you know, in that movie, Bill Murray tries things differently day by day, just in some cases, just to see what what's going to happen if you turn right instead of left. Um, but I really like this concept when it when when it's done well, and I think it was done when well here, because from an artistic point of view, the people who are making the movie, they need an audience who's sitting in a theater for upwards of two hours, not to get bored of seeing the same scene with the same characters repeating the same dialogue over and over and over again. So it becomes a little bit of an exercise in creativity from the director. Well, how do I, how do I change the way this movie is shot? How do I change the way these scenes are shot to give it a fresh perspective every time through? And that was one thing that I think the director, uh, who is Duncan Jones, uh, who is the son of musician, David Bowie. Um, that's how that's, that's one of the things that he did. I feel he did really well with this movie was, was uh, the direction. And we can talk about it a little bit more as we go through. So anyway, I wasn't sure if this was going to be your cup of tea. I know um, we've done a bunch of time travel kinds of movies in the past, um, but at its heart, this movie is is sort of uh, an adventure and a detective story, if you will, with the with the science fiction element sort of thrown in as a wrapper. So I was kind of hoping there would be enough here that you would at least enjoy your experience, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you actually loved it, or maybe you just thought it was garbage. So. What do you think? What well, was your experience with Source Code? You had not seen it before. I had right? not seen it. I had never even heard of it before. So yeah. I am eternally grateful to you, Derek, and for, to this podcast because it, it enables me to watch stuff that I never have seen before and it exposes me to all these like newer, quote unquote, newer movies that I don't know and don't like. It doesn't mean that I like them. And, uh, and I didn't particularly like this one either. I'll be honest. It was, you know, it was, it was kind of muddled and confused. And the thing was like, I'm watching, I'm like, ah, oh, I don't really like this. It's just not my cup of tea, you know, kind of as you say. And then when I get done, I went and I went online and I looked up and I was like, okay, so everybody else seems to like this movie. It has like a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes and, you know, there's lots of really good movie reviews out there about it. So I realized that I'm like a cult of one and that's usually the way things are. But I have to be honest, you know, I have to be true to myself and just tell you, but I didn't really like it that much. So... Well, we'll we'll dive into some of the specifics, yeah. and and often we I've I've found that with uh, some of these, especially with science fiction movies, like you said, uh, first time through with a lot of these, it can be confusing if science fiction isn't really your bag. If these aren't the kind of movies you watch regularly, some of the the tropes and some of the 
expectations that the movie's creators might have that their audience will understand certain things, uh, you know, for for what they want them to be rather than for what they maybe actually literally are will go over the head of some viewers on their first time through. So perhaps there's some things that if you have some questions we can chat about, it might clear it up for you, might present some, if I even know the answer. Um, but uh, but yeah, let's uh, let's jump into it. So I was, I took a look at the domestic box office for 2011 when this movie came out. And a couple of things struck me. Uh, number one, I haven't seen most of the movies from that year. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> no kidding. I'm guessing the top 10 is dominated by sequels and franchises. It, probably even the top that was, that was the second thing that I noticed about that yeah. year. Back to my first point, like I've not seen any of these movies. And the only other movie I've seen from 2011 was Thor. Because you made me watch that movie for this podcast a while back. Mm-hmm. And the second thing, like like you mentioned, like it's just it's all sequels. So it's like Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, Transformers Dark of the Moon, Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn, or when The Hangover Part 2, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, whatever the hell that is, even though that existed, Fast Five, Cars 2, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Kung Fu Panda 2, X-Men First Class, this is all friggin' sequels. Yeah. No wonder I haven't seen this. God, movies suck. But um, Source Code finished 60th overall at that year, that year with 57 million at the box office. So it's quite a ways down. And what's some other movies that are around? There's like Midnight in Paris, Friends with Benefits. There's the Lincoln Lawyer. That's what you just mentioned, right? Yeah. You know, that's and that's the same as that, that Netflix series thing, right? So, yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Tron Legacy was at 62. So you maybe watched that one too, right? There so, you go. Okay, yeah. so I guess this is the third movie that I've seen from 2001. I'm really expanding my horizons. Derek. There you go. And then... Footloose is at 66. Is that a remake? That's not the... Yes. That's not a re-release of the 1984. No, no, it's a remake. Uh, yeah, it's a re- remake, reboot, what have you. I mean, what? They, they re-released Jaws. Why don't they just re-release Footloose instead of making a remake of it? What the hell's my word with these friggin'... Get off my lawn! Dollars and cents, my friends. Okay, so like you mentioned, Source Code was directed by Duncan Jones, uh, is who is David Bowie's son. Now, as a Gen Xer... I remember his name being Zoe Boy, and I guess he didn't like being called Zoe. Can't say I blame him, you know, but so then at one point, then he changed his name and he said, I want to go by Joey. And then he said, I always want to go by Joe. And then eventually he just started using his birth name, which was Duncan Jones. So because David Bowie's real name was David Jones. David right? Jones. So, yeah. And uh, Duncan Jones also directed Moon like you mentioned, which Yancey made me watch back in the second season of this podcast. And I don't remember, I don't think you liked that one either, did you? Spoiler alert, I hated that one too. So I thought it was dumb and I thought it was boring. So this movie uh, had a budget of $32 million, but it made $56 million at the domestic box office. Almost doubled up. Yeah, so it's not bad. It made $147 million worldwide, so it did well. Um, Very highly acclaimed by critics and audiences. Like I said, it got that 92% on Rotten Tomatoes and a lot of critics liked it. I just didn't care for it. But let's talk about the cast. I always like to get into the cast of this. So Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, plays the lead character. But he wasn't, I always love getting into this too. He wasn't the first choice to play the role. The first choice was actually Topher Grace. Really? Yeah, from that 70s show. And I can see him as I look back, you know, in this, like I'm not a huge fan of Jake Gyllenhaal. I think Topher Grace would have been better in this role, but you know. I, I never really liked Jake Gyllenhaal all that much. Um, I remember when they they tried to make him into this like action movie star. Remember that movie, The Day After Tomorrow? Do you ever see that one? I love that movie. I've seen it a dozen times. It's yeah. fun. 
they, they I remember they tried to make him like this action star. to me it just didn't work mm-hmm. either the movie didn't work the, him as an action star um, one movie I really did like him in though I will admit is a movie called Prisoners have you ever yes. heard of it oh yeah it was starring that the Wolverine guy what's his name Hugh, Hugh Jackman Hugh, Hugh Jackman he plays a guy in a, uh, this guy he's like a dad and his daughter gets abducted so he takes Paul Dano prisoner to like torture him because he thinks Paul Dano took his daughter and Jake Gyllenhaal plays a cop in it and he's really really good in that movie like I was surprised and Michelle Leo I think is her name she was amazing in that too mm. I think it's one of those movies that kind of slipped under the radar for a lot of people but it's really I remember it, um, it's really long and I watched it on a flight that I took from San Francisco to Toronto so I had a lot of time on my hands when I watched that movie it was good but other than that I've never been a big fan of Jake Gyllenhaal I don't I don't know yeah, I find he's, he's hitting he's yeah I find he's hit and miss with me I, I recently watched a movie he was in called Nightcrawlers where he was um a photographer, a videographer who would listen to police scanners and then try and be the first one on the scene. And it was really good. It was really, really good. And um, and he was appeared in uh, one of the more recent Spider-Man movies for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He, uh, he had a really uh, um, important and interesting role in, uh, I think it was the second Spider-Man movie, the one where they go to Europe. And um, But yeah, he, he's been in a lot of stuff. And I've actually seen a lot of his movies. And in many of them, I just sort of go, yeah, okay. Could have been him. Could have been someone else. Doesn't didn't make that big a deal. But like you said, like prisoners and there's this with you know a few other ones where it's like I think yep he was the right guy. He did a good job. Um, but yeah, I've never I've never been a huge huge fan. But I, I you know I wouldn't I wouldn't avoid a movie because he's in it. I don't dislike him. Um, but no, I thought he was fine in this. But I, I see what you're saying. I think. Um, I think Topher Grace might have made an interesting an interesting character in this mainly because. Um, this isn't a your typical action shoot 'em up movie where there's a lot of physical stuff. There is a little bit of physicality, but again, if you've got a as the actor, if you've got to replay what is effectively the same scene over and over and over again with just slightly different nuance, that requires a certain amount of ability. And uh, yeah, I, I could I think I could see Topher Grace doing that, but. In any case, I, I was fine with Jake Gyllenhaal in this. I role. think the other thing too, and I still want to go into the cast a bit more, but it just—I just thought of it because you mentioned the the other movie you were talking about, the one about the financial one. I don't—I can't even remember Mar- the title. Margin Call. Margin Call, stupid title. This movie has a, has a bad title too. Source Code is a crappy title. Yeah, it doesn't really describe the uh, the movie very well. Like they in the course of the movie, they explain what the right. source code is, but they really don't even do a very good job of that. Yeah. But I guess you can't really call it, you know. Hot tub time machine because we already had that, mm-hmm. you know. So and like when when I first heard it, source code, I'm like, what a stupid title! Like, what the hell is that? Anyway, um, so Michelle Monaghan, I want to mention her. Um, and we I was talking before about uh, Topher Grace was originally cast. Do you know who was originally case, cast as the uh, character of Christina? It wasn't Michelle Monaghan. It was Lindsay Lohan. Really? They originally cast. And then well, they, they, they definitely traded up on that one. Yeah, Michelle Monaghan is much better. I remember when I used to be in, in business back in the days, I used to do manufacturing sales and I used to travel all the time. And I remember one time I was on a, a business trip out to Minnesota and Michelle Monaghan's dad worked at one of the factories that bought from us. And at the time, I guess she had just moved out to Hollywood to try and make it as an actress. And... Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I remember him mentioning that, but I, I, I didn't really know much about her coming into this movie other than, than that. 
I never saw the Mission Impossible movies. I think that's where she's probably best known for, right? But yeah, um, I, I definitely, I mean, she was, uh, you know, a very minor character in those films. She played um, Tom Cruise's wife, and again, they're they're about Tom Cruise, not about his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's got a pretty decent um, IMDb. Like she's been in a lot of stuff. She seems uh, like a pretty good actress. Like, I mean, she's got a lot of on-screen charisma. So I actually liked her in this. I thought she yeah, was pretty good. Me too. I thought she was one of the better parts of the movie, even though she's got a minor role. Um, Jeffrey Wright. I want to mention him. Uh, he yeah. was a very successful stage actor for years. He won a Tony uh, for Angels in America. And mm-hmm. then he reprised that role when he did the HBO series, Angels in America. Yep. Um, I feel like he's he's kind of become a bit of a sci-fi staple you know, because he yes. was on Westworld. Yeah, right? he's in Westworld. And, and he was in the James Bond reboot as Felix yes. Leiter. And the Hunger Games, too, right? So he plays... Was this, he in the Hunger Games? Yeah. I honestly don't remember. So he plays in this, obviously, this kind of scientist-type character. I think he does that really well. You know, he comes yeah. off as this kind of well-educated type of vibe thing he's got going on, which which is good, I guess, I mean, especially for sci-fi movies, you know, because mm-hmm. all the scientific jargon and all that. So I, I thought he was he was okay. And um, I wanted to mention Vera Farmiga. Um, I really liked her in a movie called Up in the Air. Have you ever seen that one? Yes. Oh, I really enjoy that one, yeah. She That's nom- not a movie for everyone, but it, it's quite oh, good. It was fantastic. She was nominated for an Oscar for that movie. And then she, wasn't she in The Departed Yes. Because you hadn't yeah. watched that for this she was podcast. Mar- she ended up marrying Matt Damon's character, and then she screwed around with Leonardo DiCaprio's yes, character. Yes, yes. And I, I, I don't know if she was perfectly cast in this movie, but for me, I, th- I feel that she's a very watchable actress. I think she can pretty much pull off anything. Yeah. So, you know, I thought she was pretty good. Yeah. Um, so the movie itself. Well, hang on, hang on. I yeah. want to talk about one more cast member. Oh, sure. Canadian stand-up comic Russell Peters. Oh, of course, yes, has a Canadian. small part in this. He does. Uh, you know, he's uh, he 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 started off as a stand-up comic here in Canada, and then he made it big, and he's a very successful stand-up comic, and uh, has has since moved to LA, and you see him in a bunch of stuff. But no, it was it was interesting when we saw this in the theater. He was like sort of just his star was just starting to like rise, and we were like, oh my god, that's the guy from Toronto, and and of course to make it easy on a guy who's not a professional actor. Hey, we're gonna have you play this part of a professional comedian. So not necessarily yeah, much of a Jake stretch. Jake Hall walks by him and he and he says to him like, "Are you a comedian?" And then Michelle Mahoney is like, uh, "Yeah, he is actually." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it was a nice, uh, yeah. nice little opportunity for him to be in, you know, what's otherwise a very, a very serious and and credible movie. And he's got this decent credit, and and he even has a little chance at the end of the movie to uh, to do a little bit of his his stand up. And uh, no, so I thought it was good, a good little. Uh, Good little opportunity for him. I've never seen any any of his stand up though. But Derek, you like stand up comics quite a bit. Have you ever I seen do. any of his act? Is he any good? Uh, I I have seen a lot of his stand up specials on TV. Mm-hmm. I've never seen him live. Uh, I still think one of his very best is one of his very first ones um, that he did in Canada. They have like a a series where they basically give all these up and coming performers a chance to give them like a 30 minute or 60 minute special and his first one that he did here is it's i had it on my old pvr for years it was fantastic um no he's he's i i find i'm i enjoy his stuff a little less now than i did then again we always talk about how some things don't age as well and some of his older material definitely does not age well but uh but no i think i think he he was very successful and probably still is a very successful stand-up comic Okay, so the premise of this film is basically there's a train, 
with a bomb on it. And as you mentioned, you know, they use all this science fiction gobbledygook to make uh, Jake Gyllenhaal keep going back and reliving the, these eight minutes over and over again to try mm-hmm. and, you know, find out who the bomber is, really. Right. And the idea is, I guess, that they can stop the bomber from detonating another bigger bomb in downtown Chicago. And it got me thinking, like, so why is he detonating a smaller one first? Pretty much just a plot point, I guess. But like, if, well, you're, they talk if, you're, about, uh, if you're a terror, like, why do you want to do this one little one first and then do the bigger one? Just go and blow the hell out of Chicago. Well, I, th- I think the the implication, I can't remember if they explicitly stated or not, but I think the implication is that by doing a smaller um, attack where, you know, fewer people are killed, fewer uh, fewer things are damaged, uh, but then taking immediate credit for it and saying, you think, you, you know, you think that was big? Wait till you see the really big one that's going to happen in the in the middle of an urban center. It creates panic. It creates uh, chaos. And it might bring more people to certain parts of the city than there would normally be. So let's say, for example, if it's the middle of the workday, you're going to have people in offices, but maybe nobody on the highway. Well, if there's a panic, suddenly all the highways are bumper to bumper. Like it wasn't clearly explained where exactly was going to set off the second bomb, but maybe that was part of it. Uh, but to your, you know, to your point, it, it's really just part of the MacGuffin of the storytelling. You just mm-hmm. have to accept that this is how this is. This first one went off. They weren't, weren't expecting it, but they have this opportunity to use this, this source code tool to figure it out and stop from doing the bigger one. The opening shots of Chicago are like really vivid. And yes, it made me realize how much I love that city. Derek, have you ever been to Chicago? Uh, yeah, a few times. I got some family in Chicago. I've probably been to Chicago at least a dozen times. I used to travel there on business all the time. Mm. I love Chicago. Um, but during the opening title sequence, another thing that really struck me was how generic the titles were. Like the font is very basic and it's very, like the typeface is very small. It's kind of like, to, to me, it struck me as a bit of a departure from a lot of these millennial movies that you got, you make, make me watch here. Like a lot of them, the opening title sequence in a lot of these movies is like a damn production all in itself. You know what I mean? And in this movie it was just very generic. It just kind of struck me. I don't know. Well, I think I think that was a deliberate choice yeah. to to ha- like you said, the director wanted to focus on this. This is a, this the beauty of the town, the beauty of the city, the the, the like you said, the way it's very. Um, I think you were saying that the the titles were generic, but in a way, the the some of the shots were generic. Where this could really be anywhere, and I think that's to try and help the audience put themselves in the shoes of, of the, you know, the heroes of this movie where it's like, yeah, they say this is going to be happening in Chicago, but the idea is this, this in theory, this kind of thing could happen anywhere. So isn't it important that they, they succeed in stopping this thing because look at how beautiful this place mm-hmm. is. And you know, it's, it's everybody, it's, uh, you know, men, women, and children. Like it's, it's, it's not just the mean corporate downtown boohoo, all the rich people. It's like, no, this, this could affect everybody. So, the movie opens up, Jake Gyllenhaal is sitting there and, and he's on the train talking to Michelle Monaghan and he doesn't know her, even though she clearly knows him. Mm-hmm. And he says he's a soldier from Afghanistan. And then he goes in the bathroom and he sees a reflection in the mirror that's not his face. Quantum Leap style, man. Right. So you're like, okay, what's going on? And then that Vera Farmiga, she's at a computer and she's like, stand by for thread one of alpha memory pattern. 
And I'm like, oh God, here we go again with this sci-fi jargon. I don't know what it is with you and Yancey making me watch these sci-fi movies with all this complicated jargon. What is the deal with this? It's hardly complicated. I don't know. I'm just like, I'm just like what's going on? This is like, so bomb goes off on the plane. Jake Gyllenhaal, like you said, he's got to relive. On the train, the, not the plane. Or sorry, on, what did I say? You said on the plane. Oh, sorry, on the train. And oh, he's got to relive the last eight minutes over and over again. And so I'm thinking, you just made me watch a movie just like this not that long ago. It was um, the day after tomorrow. No, that's the, that's the one with Jake Gyllenhaal. What's the, what's the one with Tom Cruise where they were on the beach? Remember in the Oh, war? yeah, uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. Live, Die, Repeat. It was like the same thing, right? Similar. Yeah, like I said, this is a trope that has been used many times, sometimes more successfully than others. And if, if as a as an artist, you're going to use this trope, you need to bring something different to the story. And and that's part of what I liked about this. It was different. It was this, you have this eight minute thread. It's a very confined, you know, you're in a train car, the same, the same setting, the same moments, even though you still get some of those shots of the, you know, from outside, it's uh it's an exercise in, uh, in making this compelling, despite the fact that you're constantly in the same place over and over again. So there's a scene where he, Jake Gyllenhaal opens up his wallet and it says his name, Sean. And then it says, teacher. Teacher. <laughs> like, when does anyone ever carry a piece of ID that shows their name and occupation? I, I just assume, as someone who doesn't live in the state of Illinois, I just assume that's what it no. shows on an Illinois driver license. Really? But. I would like to hear from somebody that lives in Illinois. Please email me, chris at World, and tell me if this is true. Because there's no way you have an ID that says your name and your occupation. Come on. It's like Steve Acupuncturist. Or like Martin Refuse Collector. Dave, unemployed. Like, come on. This doesn't happen. There's no way. I can't. If you say so. I I just, again, suspend disbelief. I assume that's how that was. And I just didn't even consider it. I was like, okay, fine. Because in the course of the dialogue, she refers to him as if someone mentions that he's a history teacher. So it it wasn't like that was a clincher of, uh, uh, you know, an important plot point that you, oh, my God. Well, if we had known he was a teacher, it's... uh, Susan, hippotherapist. Oh, come on. Um, One thing I I noticed uh, was the actor that plays... Remember the train ticket collector? The guy that was coming around and picking Mm -hmm. up the tickets? Have you ever seen the the kid's show called Today's Special? Oh, yeah. Geez. Not in a long time, but yes. Okay. So there's a puppet on that show that used to freak me the hell out. It was this security guard. It was this like puppet security guard. And his name was Sam Crenshaw. Google it if you're listening to this podcast. Google Sam Crenshaw uh, from today's special. And you'll see it looks exactly like the security guard or the ticket collector that was in this. And that that puppet, by the way, was maybe the freakiest thing that I've seen since Ben Gardner's Head and Jaws, which I just saw in 3D recently. But anyway, I just wanted to mention that. I've always liked to point out these connections, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, so then talking about this jargon and stuff they talk about, Jeffrey Wright says at one point, source code does not equal time travel. Source code equals quantum mechanics and parabolic calculus. This stuff sure. makes my head hurt. <laughs> I just it's, here's the thing. If you want to understand me, Derek, and why I'm the way I am when it comes to movies... Here's the thing. I like movies like Meatballs and Stripes. Okay, so you, on the other hand, like movies that are about parabolic calculus and quantum physics and mechanics. I like movies about kids going to camp or slackers that join the army to meet girls. Like, this is the perspective that you have to have. 
you know, if you view everything through this lens, you will understand me perfectly. You and your uh, weird sci-fi time ending crap. <laughs> it all just confuses me. I don't know. No, I, um, again, I mean, I've said before, I, there's a couple of, I, I have a soft spot for a handful of genres. I like time travel movies. I like science fiction in general, but I like time travel movies. I like any movie that's about like a bank heist or con artists that can pull one over on someone. Like anything that falls into those categories, I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to give it a watch. And believe me, I watched, uh, I didn't, I had it on my list, but I didn't talk about it earlier. I watched a time travel movie on Netflix this week that was just garbage, which is why I didn't mention it. So I'm like, they're not all winners, but, uh, but no, one of the things that I, I really did like about this movie was, and I know we're sort of jumping up a bit, but I actually really liked the ending. I, I liked that it had the happy ending. It didn't have to. And, but I think it worked. And, uh, I, I did like, um, I liked the reveal, like, so the character, starts with memory loss so we as the audience are in the same situation as this this hero that that is the avatar for us and as he learns what's going on we learn what's going on and that you know and that's good storytelling that's that happens all the time but one of the things that i really liked was how when we cut back to jake gyllenhaal's character when he wasn't on the train he was in like a, a emergency capsule or of some sort and eventually manages to like free himself from the harness and he he you know the loses heat in his little capsule and he has to like jury rig the thing and he the communications comes and goes and the very first time i was watching this through i was you know i'm i took it at face value and then it wasn't until two-thirds through the movie when you realize you know this isn't real he's he's not actually in a capsule this is just his mind's way of compensating and and making sense of what's going on and then at the very end you have the full reveal which you know if you haven't figured that out by then you're you know be a little surprised but where you know his his physical body is for the most part gone it's just like a head and a torso um but just i, I like the way that through the course of the story as he started to gain more of his memory as he started to become a little more self-aware the the escape capsule that he was in started to break down, started to seem smaller, started to get colder. It was like his brain was starting to tell him like, this isn't real. Like this, this isn't what you think it is. And again, that wasn't sort of the main plot of the story, but it was an interesting sort of diversion on the side that I think did a good job of, of bringing you back and forth. Cause as we found out from like, um, groundhog day, if you just keep showing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, it gets really boring really fast. So by having those cutaway scenes where it cuts to him in the escape capsule, it was a good way to cut away from that eight minutes that keeps repeating, repeating, repeating. And I just thought it was very clever. I thought it was clever the way it came together. I thought it was interesting the way it was, um, you know, it was hidden from the audience. Uh, and, you know, I know I didn't realize that it was artificial until quite some ways in the movie. Basically, by the time the character realizes something's up, this is the same time we as the audience realize something's up. But no, I thought, I thought it was just a clever way to, to weave that into the story. I guess another twist in the movie, too, is that, you know, they find this bad guy, Derek Frost is his name, and then they arrest him and they stop him from killing, you know, all these people in Chicago. But then Jake Gyllenhaal wants to go back and save the people on the train, too. Maybe right. Michelle Monaghan, probably. Well, because at the beginning, he's, he even says, like, it's a simulation, it's a simulation. He's thinking more like virtual reality simulation, but, you know, through the course of the movie, like you said, they use all those jargony words to explain blah blah quantum this and calculus that um but this is this is the happy ending that i liked it's 
yeah, he was a soldier on a mission to do this thing as a part of this program, and he was successful. And then, you know, that you get to understand that him being the hero, he felt he had unfinished business. He wanted to, he wanted to get it right. He wanted to do the right thing. And so you have the happy ending at the end, where because he's been through this simulation fifty times or however many times, he's able to do everything perfectly. And the army guy is. They don't want him to do this because he's not supposed to change the past, right? He's only supposed to, like, try and alter the future or something like that. Like I say, these, well, sci- these sci-fi movie premises, they make my head Again, work. it's presented as it doesn't matter what he does, nothing's going to change. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the, one of the twists at the very end is, well, it doesn't work. It, you know, it, it is it is actually sort of a time travel scenario kind of thing, uh, you know, if you want to believe that's how, how it works, uh, based on the email he sends. And um, I think what they were saying, the reason he didn't want him to go back that last time was this resource of this soldier that could do this thing and, and relive this moment in the past was a valuable tool to their to their military. And why would you risk him going back into a scenario that you don't need anything else out of uh, that might compromise any sort of future missions? Um, so I think, I think that was more the idea of why they didn't want him to go back. It wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with, well, you might make other changes. They don't give a crap. They didn't think he could do any material change one way or the other. So here's where I need your help because Mm -hmm. I think what happens is he gets Russell Peters to do a standup routine Mm -hmm. to make people laugh so that I think they just have a nice moment before they die. Isn't, is that the idea? Is it? Yeah. to To be honest, I'll be perfectly honest. I was checking baseball scores. At this point of the film so i mean i just i didn't really i didn't know what's going on yeah that's i think that's exactly it it was yeah. how can you make everyone's day better well we started by stopping the bomber right. and then it's like okay what else can we do and it's like but then they go to that reflective peanut thing in downtown in downtown chicago that by the way that thing that thing is called cloud gate i think a lot of locals call it the bean if i remember correctly yeah that's what i've always heard it called the bean yeah i've, I've been there it's right beside the art institute of chicago a friend of mine used to work at the art institute she was a curator there the whole that whole area in downtown Chicago is incredible. There's like Maggie Daly Park and then Buckingham Fountain. It's all like connected together. Downtown Chicago is just beautiful. I just it is one of my favorite cities in North America. Much better huh? than this movie, that's for sure. Uh, what are your some of your favorite cities in North America? I'm just I'm curious. Vegas, baby. Vegas. Oh, you like Las Vegas? Yeah. Going to Vegas again, December. Nice. Countdown's on. Three months. For me, I'm there. it's like I think of like Toronto. I love. New York, Chicago, and Quebec City. Those are things that come to mind for me, but I love Chicago. That's fair. Um, You want to give it a rating out of 10? I think this is great. I give it an 8 out of 10. Like I say, I think a lot of people give it a high rating. I would give it a low rating. This movie is called Source Code, but in my mind, they should have called it Shit Code. Oh, you suck. (laughs) So I'll give it like a 3, I guess. I'm so bad. Sorry. All right, let's have some fun with Caveman. Okay, so Derek, you like game shows. I love game I shows. I like game shows. So it's time for you, my friend, to take a seat in the winner's circle of the $100,000 pyramid. All right, Derek, you know how this works. You have 60 seconds to make it to the top of the pyramid. There's six categories, and I can only give you lists 
for each category. And then based on my lists, you, you're going to guess the category. Okay. And you know how much I love Gen X pop culture. You know, yes. Figure. Yes, I do. <laughs> so this is the Gen X pop culture version of the $100,000 pyramid. I should have brought Yancey back for this. Maybe I'm sitting here. You know, that's always good for a laugh or two. So all the categories have to do with Gen X pop culture. Okay. I'm going to give you a list and you're going to go up to the pyramid and you're, you're pretty good at this. So I think you'll fly through it. Okay. Are you ready? I think so. Go. Hey, I live in Milwaukee with my mom, Marion and my dad, Howard and my sister, Joni. Oh, what, uh, what, uh, Richie Cunningham would say. Happy yes. days. Uh, Darth Vader, the Star Destroyer, the Millennium Falcon. Things in Star Wars. Yes. Big Trouble in Little China. The Thing. John Carpenter movies. Yes. Ordinary People. Chariots of Fire. Gandhi. Terms of Endearment. Amadeus. Movies that won the best picture. Oscar. Out of Africa. Platoon. I don't know. Pass. Pass. The last pass. Uh, Good Old Boys. I'll Be There For You. Believe It Or Not. Uh, Thank You For Being A Friend. Uh, uh, theme songs that were big on the radio. Yeah. Uh, the Ballad of Jed Clampett. Making Our Dreams Come True. Pop songs that were theme songs to TV shows. Yes. Um, scary Movie, Hot Shots, Top Secret, Airplane, Spaceballs, uh, Johnny English. Par- parody movies, spoof movies. Yes. Oh, spoof, yes. I keep going back. Ordinary People, Chariots of Fire. Gandhi, The Last Emperor, Rain Man, Driving Miss Daisy, Platoon, Out of Africa, Ordinary People. I don't know. I got nothing. Chariots of Fire. Oh, oh man, we almost had it. Jeez. You got five of them. That was Best Picture winners from the 1980s. Didn't I say that? You said, said best that. picture winners, but you didn't say the '80s. And that's oh, what they needed. Okay. The well, judges wouldn't give it to us. So when oh. you when we when you went to the category that had airplane and yeah. scary movie, I thought we had gone back to that first category that I passed on, and I'm trying to connect golden uh, on Golden Pond and Chariots of Fire to Hot Shots and Naked Gun and Airplane, and I was getting very confused. And then I realized this is probably not connected to that list. (laughs) And the thing is, when you play the pyramid and you're going up it, like you got to say the one word and you got it with spoof. Spoof was the word. So I mean, good for you. Oh man, we almost got there. So you got, you didn't get the one, but you got like two, four, five. So you got 750 bucks. Not bad. There you go. Uh, You're just transferring. Yeah, digital transfer is fine. Okay, we'll take care of that. Uh, So full disclosure, we're going to be away next week. We usually record on Wednesday nights, you know, and next Wednesday, I'm, I'm busy. My wife and kids want to do something for me. Apparently, I'm going to be a year older, something like that. So don't believe uh, it. Yeah. Fight the urge. So we're going to have another uh, best of fun with caveman episode for next week. But we're going to come back the week after that. And it's time for another pop culture fantasy draft. So there's only two years left for us in the 80s for us to draft. There's 1983 and 1987. Derek, what do you say that we do 1983 the next yeah, I think I think that's a good idea we just did 1986 so let's let's bounce back a couple of years we'll do 83 and uh I, it, you've already you've got me five out of th- five to three on the eight draft so far so the you best I win the last two if to I tie. win the next two all yeah. that's gonna do is tie but uh yeah. we'll see I, I'm 
I'm more confident with the eight. Sorry, what was our other year we got left? 86 or 87? 83 and 87 are the two left. I, I'm, I'm very confident that in 87, I, I'm very confident about that one, which I did. Honestly, I, I was hoping we were going to do that one last. 83, I was still pretty young. I was only eight years old. So mm. that one might be a bit tougher. So we'll see. We'll come back in two weeks and uh, I think we'll have a lot of fun talking. Yeah, I mean, we'll do the draft the and then we'll each pick a movie to review yeah. from that year. And then that'll get us through like the next month or so around here. Mm -hmm. 1983, next time. We got each going to draft a team of three movies, three TV shows, three songs, and a personal pick from 1983. We'll do that next time out. Okay? Sounds good. All right. So until then, this is Chris McRyan on behalf of myself and Derek Meyer saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 